Welcome to the Sunday Slow Burn. Today we're going to be talking about fairies and the fae. What's happening, Dan? What's up, Indy? How you doing, man? Doing well, man. Been going deep into this rabbit hole. It'd be interesting to see what you guys have dug up in our research today. Yeah. Right, we're going to be doing Ireland and whatnot uh, next year. We're going to get into the northwestern European Isles. So like Britain, Scotland, Ireland, and everything to do with that. The Renaissance, uh, the Reformation, a bunch of fun stuff coming up for RFTA for next year. That sounds exciting. I like it. Yeah, I got some stuff be... from Ireland for today, and I got some stuff from the Norse, the Vikings. And I got some... Excellent. Uh, so... Some uh, Tuatha Dé Danann, Kieran Lenoge stuff as well. So I guess that's from Ireland. But, you know, it yeah. does it out to a lot of other places too. Yeah, so we'll be weaving all that stuff in together uh, today. And then a lot of these topics we'll probably be talking about more so in the RFTA uh, episodes that we do. We'll get deeper into it with people. Uh, and last week when we were talking about... Uh, like wizards, Merlin and whatnot. Uh, yeah. A lot came up about the Tuatha Dé Danann and how they were pretty much like the mages, but they were also like deified. So they became almost like the gods, and people seemed to try to be either uh, impersonating them or not necessarily like personal, but like. Uh, trying to copy their swag or style to be more like them because they were deified in that way and then uh so it's very interesting that maybe some of the gods are connected to these two a day Danan and how the two a day Danan have been pretty much all over the world even in uh the weirdest places you could think of <laughs> now do you associate them with the vikings uh, I, in a way, but it's like way later. Okay, because like Vikings I was are like six or seven hundreds, you know. I consider them to be like so, really like big, like imposing, like like tough guy brutes. But sometimes after this research, I think maybe they were a mix of some of them were like strong brutes, others were like really powerful sorcerers. They're just yeah, formidable yeah. race. Yeah, I think it was similar to that too. Uh, it's interesting because, like, the Fomorians and the Fearbolg are generally associated with like different super races. But like, it's it's weird because in the stories they talk about them as having like darker hair or blonde hair. Even some of them, uh, the god Bress, who was uh, half to a Dedan and half Fomorian it was said that his dad had long blonde hair and he was a Fomorian and his mother was a Tua de Danon. so it's because you know like from some things that I've heard yep. it comes across that the Fomorians are maybe a, a Afrocentric race and oh, wow. came from some other place because uh, of the more 
the name more in the name of Fomorians. And so maybe they were, I'm not really sure, but it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I think we'll get into some of that and some of like what they might've looked like when we do the RFTA episodes and whatnot. So that'd be uh, great. That'll be interesting and fun to kind of break into that a little bit more and find out where these people come from. Cause it seems like they also shared Ireland. Uh, and then when we talk about the Molessians, that's like, that comes that's straight out of Egypt man so it's weird yeah. and the people associated with that group also have very biblical names which is interesting so oh, homie yeah. that's what's happening brother hey um, good good Sunday great day to be here great day to be to be jiving with the boys, I'm uh, I'm swept away by the just the depth of, of folklore that goes into uh, all of this, and <laughs> just trying to even talk about it in such a such a short amount of time is is astounding, and it's, it's quite it's quite a quite a gig. But I'm stoked, man! Like I I kind of got uh, brought down the this character called the Melusine, which. I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. And then I start looking into the Melly scene and I'm like, oh, this is this is really it's really uh, quite a backbone of French folklore, Celtic folklore, um, even connecting to like the Nagas and stuff of, of the Vedic folklore. And then also found out that Melly scene is, in fact, the the Starbucks logo um, and it's not Medusa um, and the Melly scene character just being one of the three daughters of this um this this fairy who married the king of albion which was um a, a part of like northern france that was celtic and and so the the kind of story of melusine is almost like the story of morgan in a way and i will get into that later uh or morgan or morgane when like i'm, I'm pretty sure the the Merigu, Merigu, more it's the same, more is right? Yeah. Is it the same as is Merigu and Morgan? Like they're the same. This is all of Morgan, sure. right? Yeah, I'm not sure because I was looking at it and I'm like, they spell it so many different ways and there's so many interpretations. But what I was really interested in, and like you were saying, we're gonna go into the whole ancient Celtic um, month, so we just have a bunch of deep dive time. But there was. Yeah. you know spots of the spots of europe that held really strong celtic roots and um you know like it didn't wasn't just ireland and northern parts of europe like it was even like eastern europe and some parts in france and spain like these pockets of celtic yeah and i'm like damn that's kind of blew my mind you know so starting to think about um you know this this mystical culture that held a lot of mystical things value their their society they, it's so cool we love the mystic beings and the supernatural spiritual goodness here and the entities and the elemental they were all the elementals and i definitely have some manly p hall to get into later um because i think it's a great thing to bring up when we're talking about fairies and stuff so 
but we go from here what's the deal what are we what are we jiving on how are we gonna start how are we gonna shake this off do we got some etymology or something like what i got some etymology let's, let's break down what fairies are. all right so this interestingly ties back to a french word that goes all the way back to latin and proto-european but i didn't really see too much information from the french a little bit from the spanish but uh the french word that it goes back to um is Fae, F-A-E, that originates in the Old French. And uh, that ties back to fata, which means the fates in Latin, which comes from the original ba, which comes from the Proto-Indo-European root word. But after it becomes fae in French, it then becomes fairy. And originally the word fairy uh, in the Middle English meant that it was the country or home of supernatural or legendary creatures. So the word fairy meant what we call fairyland today or what mm -hmm. the fae originally represented which was the land of the fairies meeting of fairies enchantment magic witchcraft or sorcery so it had a more wider range of definition in the original old french and then after modern english becoming fairy f-a-e-r-i-e -E, it later turned into the modern fairy, F-A-I-R-Y, the mythical being of folklore and romance, usually having a diminutive form and magical powers. Diminutive, I believe, just means small bodied. Hmm. But um, it's fascinating how it kind of went to the understanding of uh, uh, paranormal or um, supernatural beings. And then it went to becoming like a fictional word. It means like a fictional mm -hmm. thing now in modern society. But I feel like we've we've really kind of just lost track of this, that there's been a lot of talk about this throughout history in many cultures, that there's another realm that resides alongside us. And um, it's not just the Irish and the Norse or the Europeans. This goes all around the world. And so there's a good chance that now that we're kind of stuck in the materialist worldview right now, we've kind of fallen away from the energetic um field of, of vision seeing things in, in different realms right amongst us like the aborigines considered dream time but um i have a list of the different uh qualifications of what a fae or a fairy could be and a lot of people just associate them all as being a pixie right the little flying things mm. little tiny flying cute little creatures but um now it could range from anything the fae could mean a goblin elf gnome Pixies, dwarves, sprites, brownies, changelings, vampires, and even uh, trolls or a mandrake. But there's also other names that you probably have never heard before that uh, they were also referred to as gnolls, ghostwise halflings, lightfoot halflings, wild dwarves, aerials, banshees, salamanders, cottonfly and snowfly, murian, selkie, vajanoi, kankanog, Nuklevi, usage, and ethnicity. But uh, they've, there's many different variations of what a fairy is. And so just want to get that out of the way. It's not always just going to be a pixie, although we do refer to that now. I think we have that understanding and interpretation of it. Welcome to the show, Morgan. How are you doing this evening? What's up, Morgan? How's it going, babe? I, don't I think know she might down. be froze. Rose, yeah. Well, we'll hear from yeah. her. 
Um, so, oh, have you guys heard any of those other things I listed in that second list? Uh, I thought the Mandrake uh, take is really interesting. I mean, that goes yeah. into amount of magical workings and spell things and specifically mandrake root is caused from um from the like the droppings of bodily fluids after a person has been hung or crucified that's how a mandrake root is generally uh thought to have been uh brought into the world you know because their excrements will fall from the body after it's been brought into extremes. And then those spe special fluids and excrements, they'll go into the soil, make the mandrake root. And then you go dig up the root and use it for your magical working. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, yeah, that's kind of, that is pretty interesting. And there, you know, it's like a body in the earth, which is kind of like a, a cross correlation that happens a lot, you know, especially in, um, northern europe you know believing in the fairies and the gnomes of the hills and giving them offerings and things uh so like yeah, yeah mandrake root the the the, the root mm -hmm. of man yeah super fascinating bro yeah the mandrake is fascinating it has like an anthropomorphic form to it. it looks like a human with like two little legs and two arms sometimes um which is fascinating i know there's actually a movie about it but i know there was also used um uh for abortions or something they use mandrake i think as kind of a, a medicine which mm. is it yeah. wow uh yeah i think i think there's a lot more to mandrake that i had known not about <laughs> i mean i first heard about it uh well actually in harry potter right they had it in harry potter and i was like oh mandrake and they made it cute but then i heard about it looking up voodoo um history of voodoo and voodoo and hoodoo and voodoo and things I was like, and they use mandrake root a lot in that, which, like I said earlier, of just how the mandrake is thought to be created through the excrements of, of a hung person and, uh, you know, kind of like going into the magical workings of the South and things like start getting into a lot more um, uh, esoteric territory when, you, when you're rolling around that stuff, man. So, yeah, I can see why they associated with death. It was it kind of had a sinister beginnings, but they've kind of made it all cartoony now. Little yeah. yeah. All right. You're sharing my screen. I'll go into this uh, article here. Uh, meetings of the queen with the queen of Elfame, a magical and protective fairy queen by Natalia Klimziak from the Ancient Origins websites. Fairies are common beings in your Euro European folklore, perhaps even since pre-Roman times. They are known in most cultures and in different regions around the world. Many legends say that the fairies' leader is a mysterious queen who wisely ruled all of fairyland. There are at least a few well-known goddesses that have been linked to fairies. One of them was the famous queen, Morrigan. Another one was Danu, a Celtic mother. But the most mysterious of the supposed fairy rulers are arguably the queen of Elfame, who may be associated with the Scottish, Scottish, Scottish goddess, Nick Nevin. In Scottish and Northern British folklore, the name Queen of Elfame means Queen of Fairyland. It is unknown when she appeared in history or legends for the first time, but she has been mentioned in several old folk stories and also in documents of witch trials. 
uh, legendary meetings with the Queen of Elfame. It is not easy to find resources describing the Queen of Elfame. She did, however, appear in the legend of Thomas the Rhymer. He was said to be a laird and sort of a local prophet who lived in the borders region of Scotland. The tale described a man who was helped by the Queen of Elfame and returned from his time with her with the gift of prophecy. If one version of this text, in one version of this text, the mythical being is the queen of the nameless kingdom in the translation of Thomas the Rhymer by Robert Grave. The queen says, I'm not the queen of heaven, Thomas. That name does not belong to me. I am the queen of fair Elfame. Come out to hunt in my folly. The queen of Elfame appeared in many witchcraft trials for example she was linked to one in 1597 when andrew mann was accused of practicing magic during his confession he claimed to have had an intimate relationship with the queen of elfame according to his testimony for more than 30 years he had been making love and learning from the leader of the fairies andrew mann said that he had several children with the queen and she had granted him with gifts of knowledge and healing Moreover, according to the legend based on the previously described Ballad of Thomas the Rhymer, he claimed that he was also kidnapped by the queen to have a sexual affair with her. Dun dun dun. Wild. The, best. the figure reportedly used no. to meet with women as well. It is said, for example, that she appeared in front of two women who were believed to be witches, Bessie Dunlap and Isabel Gowdy. Bessie claimed that the Queen of Elfame came to her for the first time when she was in labor. According to both women, the Queen visited them many times. She reportedly bought, taught them how to heal people and animals. The legend of the Fairy Queen became an inspiration for many famous artists and writers. This character appeared in place by Shakespeare and his followers, all of the fairies they presented in their texts may be associated with the Queen of Elfame. The goddess who ruled fairyland, the Scottish Queen of Elfame reminds me of the Norse Freya and her attributes. She is associated with magic, childbirth, and healing. This goddess has been described as a young and beautiful woman who could steal the heart of a man. Nonetheless, the Queen of Elfame is probably based on the goddess Nicknavin, who also, also known as Nicknevin or Nicknevin, her name means the daughter of the divine. Nicknevin is a protected de deity whose feast was connected with autumn celebrations, especially Samhain. In Celtic legends, she was able to communicate with the spirits of the dead and was related to witchcraft and magic. The goddess was one of the inspirational deities in the Druid traditions as well. She was believed to provide wisdom and magic ability. Wow, yeah, I think Sam Hain mm -hmm. is like a really good example of, of fairy realm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very well integrated into that holiday. And that's a Wiccan holiday, wow. right? It's uh, like Wiccan is like New Age. That's true. It's a it's an oh. old holiday, Samhain, yeah, or Sawin. Sawin. Heard it that way too. I think that's the older way, probably. 
Um, so I got some some background and some mythology and some folklore over here, so we can get like a good picture of uh, how the understanding has progressed throughout the ages. Uh, the views concerning fairies has morphed and developed over time and by region. The early pre-Christian Europeans, uh, these beings likely originated as lesser spirits or deities. And as Christianity spread, the beings were demoted to their either being a race that lived parallel to humanity or a demonic entities. Post-enlightenment believed in fairies dramatically decreased. Even so, beliefs in fairies still lingers in the small isolated communities in the modern New Age and neo-pagan movements. Uh, they gained popularity in the Anglophore world beginning in the 1960s. Uh, they can have a wide variety of forms, as we went over earlier, in European folklore and literature. Some fairies were beautiful and graceful, whereas others were hideous to look upon. Uh, as we'll go over later, there's two courts. There's the Seely Court and the Unseely Court. The Seely Courts were the benevolent ones that were good-looking and would help uh, humanity, whereas the Unseely Court were usually the... Uh, Hard to look at uh, sinister ones that uh, uh, usually lived in the dark. The unseely court's associated with fall and winter, and the seely court is associated with spring and summer. So they have like a lot of uh, symbolic aspects to them. Um, now let's see. Uh, in modern times, the fairy is most commonly described as beautiful, feminine looking fairies that tend to have wings of a butterfly or fly insect. While other beings traditionally thought of types of fairies that don't match this description tend to go uh, by more specific names, which we went over a few of. I've done mm -hmm. a little research on the Banshees and the Changelings, if we can go over some of that at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I want to definitely I want to get into, well, because I, I think what what we're talking about here, you know, it's, it's hard to like lock down. Um, exactly what a fairy is when we're talking about the fae which is a magical realm and the beings that exist within the magical realm you know we're not talking about tinkerbell over here you know but we did want to kind of like get into what i had the idea of this show being because next week we were going to do like leprechauns or more of like the masculine side of creatures and uh lore of you know what, what the fae realm and th this week is kind of like being the, the more feminine aspects of that so which a lot of times ties into you know uh fairies and like what people consider fairies to be is like a like a like a, like a, a small winged woman you know like flying around and <laughs> with pixie dust and stuff <laughs> but but you know there there are this paracelsus um i think was the first person to truly break down like these uh, esoteric elementals like these he 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 put the elementals into a mission of saying like there's these creatures that exist within this realm this elemental realm and they are they are defined by their geographical location they're defined by their their archetype and they're defined by <clears throat> By the workings that you and intention that you have because there's six elementals earth water air fire and then light and dark 
and the light and dark is where you start to get into like the intention behind it you know it's like okay are we going to tap into the light side of air we're going to tap into the dark side of air we're going to tap into the light side of water or the dark side of water to kind of bring that uh energy there and then there's all the talk of the inner fey wars or the inner wars of like the these these realms like if these elements are against each other inside the fey realm and we're only like experiencing it outside of our realm and so there's so many things to get into but i did kind of have the idea of like trying to stick to more of the feminine side of the of the fey realm for this week cool. and then next week kind of tapping over but obviously there's going to be crossover and we you know all that goodness and but definitely getting into the 12th of day to nine today like absolutely hello steen welcome to the show brother hey yo thanks good to be here cool yeah so the banshee is one of the feminine types oh, yeah. of fairies okay um we could talk about a little bit about the banshee um the banshees were known to have been uh seen as, as somewhat of a ghost they they were thought to be warning uh people of death and of, of or alerting people to death in their family in in old in old ireland um they would do this thing called keening which was kind of a grieving kind of something oh, you could call it a song but it was more of a scream they would let out their pain at the funeral and release it and they were thought to have been represented uh, uh women that became ghosts that had had a terrible death and so but they were not considered to be malevolent they were thought to be um of service trying to help people uh let them know that someone they they're close to had died before they got word so they could prepare hmm. um although they were hard to look at for people and they let out that shrieking cry yeah banshees are bad news uh my fiance is very much into um irish and celtic mythology celtic paganism um so that's that's why i uh, why i jumped in she's uh, she's very much connected to the to the fae and fae folk um but banshees i do believe they are um well, the, I'm not sure if they are like actually malevolent, but they're not good news. Like you don't want to uh, mm -hmm. want to encounter. One. They only give you bad news. But it's said that they they wouldn't try to hurt people. Although I think their their shrieks probably did hurt your ears. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You know, the shrieks from the other world. Horrifying. Yeah. Harbingers. Bad news. But yeah, the, the understandings of banshees have obviously changed throughout like time over since uh, you know ancient Ireland up until modern day. They've kind of been probably more demonized. As have pretty much all the uh, old <laughs> mythological creatures. Mm -hmm. I just started that show, um, American Gods. Like someone, someone, or a lot of people have recommended it, and then I, um, I started it couple days ago just to just to check it out and i was like absolutely captivated because the concept of it is so spot on um you know like we are the same we, we we're within the same realm we're within the same earth we're within the same breath of of life as our ancestors and we are worshiping completely opposing ends of deities at this point and so like i love that they had like these 
you know, the, like obviously the author is incredibly well depth in all of these stories and he Brett did such a great job at like kind of explaining the what we're what we're involved in in our current society. Like they did such a good job at that. And um, I'm just getting through that show. And it's funny because like the more and I just also and I, you know, I'm only doing this because it's harvest season here on the farm where I'm watching a lot more television and stuff. But like I just also finished the show True Blood, which uh, had vampires and fairy and werewolves and all these things that we had also been talking about on the podcast. But the uh, apparently the media has been been dick hard on talking about the magical realm for so long and they're bringing up a lot of really occult aspects in a lot of these shows and the writers that write the actual books that the shows are based off of have incredible awesome esoteric knowledge and they imbue it upon their art and i'm just now discovering it so i'm like a kid in a candy shop right now with all these these like awesome shows and books and stuff i'm like damn it dude like i have so much research ahead of me um but i do love the elementals man and i i love the fey folk and welcoming a, yet and someone else to this beautiful stream the slow burn we have mark what's happening brother naughty naughty roman what's up brother you invited me you i invited me and then i was like 30 minutes in i'm like where's the invite i thought i was gonna talk about fairies what's up dan what's up indy what up? <laughs> uh, i don't know how to pronounce your name brother but nice to meet you uh and roman hello of course what's up welcome brother uh yeah i know i've been slacking today yet it's, sundays always end up being like i get so deep down a rabbit hole like last minute that i'm just like doing it's all right so it's much, the slow, so burn. slow yeah. burn invite tonight it's okay i don't mind oh yeah man. oh yeah man well, well uh, I will say, I jump in real quick i just talked to joshua cutchin who wrote a couple books on fairies so i feel like i'm oh, a little bit uh primed up for this topic if we're gonna get into it uh but don't let me jump in too soon jump in right now man tell us about the book <laughs> tell us about cutchin oh and also welcome morgan hello welcome Hi. <laughs> the Fae has entered the realm. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Hello. Um, well, the book you asked me to describe is called Ecology of Souls. And what's interesting about Joshua Cutchin particularly is his first book that he was well known for was uh, dealing with Bigfoot and the connection between Bigfoot lore and fairies and UFOs. So this book deals more with the connection between human souls, fairies, and sort of ceremonial landscape aspects like fairy circles, corpse roads, and a bunch of other really interesting concepts. And what's cool about Joshua is he's not like conclusively going after one thesis. He's like kind of showing you everything that's going on. You know, he, he paints a really broad picture and puts a lot of different um cultural myths side by side to show you how this mm -hmm. type of thing is human and not you know because of one culture right and he gives you examples of like things that may be interpreted as fairies although they don't go by that name in the oceanic cultures in the aboriginal cultures in south america in north america and of course europe and and all of asia so it's really fascinating stuff 
psychopomps was another concept that's kind of blended in because what nice. happened in a lot of um european cultures where fairies were present uh during the dying process right so sometimes people would see fairies after their loved one would pass away or maybe even someone would see fairies before they died as a sort of omen so it wasn't always like a good sparkly like disney type of thing sometimes fairies were like you know very like okay i just saw a fairy i'm in bad you know something bad's about to happen right so there's a whole nother dimension to a lot of these myths and folklore aspects that, that we don't get because of the pop culture disneyfication of all of this stuff you know mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why i was bringing up earlier the six the six elementals instead of like the four where people are like undines sprites you know gnomes and all these there's this there's the light and the dark aspect which goes into each of the four and uh you know and like even just like the case of the leprechaun you know like uh you know it's like the good luck the bad luck you know what what is it going to be and and both undulating energies and archetypes that are within the mat within all realms man you know the light and the dark you never know what you're gonna get you gotta mm -hmm. keep a karma's real though i'm definitely finding that out day by day no more no more throwing plastic into the wilderness kidding i've never done that i'm a clean boy <laughs> i'm just saying things now what what, what morgan hello what, what you got do you got some juice for us Dan said you well, might I mean, have going off of what you're saying, I mean, like with um, Morgan Le Fay or, you know, that's like pretty much the most popular fairy that I know of, but they like uh, correlate her to the Morgan and it's like somebody that you see before you're about to die or like someone like she comes upon you when you ask for something as well. So it's like. If in astrology, I would relate it to Lilith. Um, basically, like, you know, your dark side. I mean, you got to be careful what you ask for because you're going to get it. So basically, mm -hmm. you know, there is a light and a dark side to, to exactly what you're saying. It, it's just what are you putting out there, I guess. Yeah. 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 Thanks for giving us a little more on Morgan Le Fay. Oh, there's so much on her. And like, she's the high priestess of the ninefold sisterhood, which is like basically, um, it's a tribe of Morgan. So, okay. So there's the, there's the artisan. There is the uh, lore keeper. There is the law keeper, the emissary, um, and the hearth keeper. So, like each, you know, uh, archetype of a Morgan um, has their role in society, basically, or like in life, like what they're doing. So, yeah, there's actually wow. so much on her that I mean, it's crazy. I mean, because you could think of her as a goddess, as a person, you know, in mythos especially Celtic or, you know, Welsh mythology. But like I said, in astrology, she's Lilith. Um, and then, you know, her muses. Yes, there she is right there. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at, okay, let's, let's break down this picture just for a second. Let's see what we got going on here. Snakes. Look at that. Look at those symbols on her, her dress there. And the, uh, the jaguar belt 
Yeah. Bird. She is like the high priestess of all priestesses. I mean, she literally was Merlin's um in in you know, if you want to talk Arthurian legend, she was um Merlin's apprentice. So hmm. then she surpassed Merlin. Hmm. So wow. then a lot of drama comes with that. I mean, some people say she's Arthur's sister. I mean, basically, she is the, okay, the bard that carried him uh, when he died to the Isle of Avalon, which is known as the Isle of the Apples. And uh, there they, you know, still live, apparently, um, wow. in a cloud in the Red Sea. So she okay. carried him to Avalon when he died, or he survived? Well, to keep him alive, because she, yeah. she knows every type of, like, medicine out there. I mean, she, you have to remember, she surpassed Merlin uh, when it comes to necromancy. So it just literally, she's, yes. So every... <laughs> resurrected him. Yeah. Because in the legend... Um, with the Excalibur, it is supposed to be the protector, the healer. Like, you can't have anything bad happen to you if you are um, in possession of it. And he gave it to her. That's Guinevere. Okay? That's Guinevere and that's Morgan Le Fay. Mm -hmm. And that is Guinevere's um, cousin, I think. Oh, my God. So she gets... it. It's so dramatic. And you know how they <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Playing with the elementals right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This actually reminds me a lot of the um, story that you have in um, in the more Germanic paganism, Norse paganism mm -hmm. of uh, Idun and the uh, golden apples, because that's yeah. where mm -hmm. the gods are said to uh, to get their power and their uh, their immortality from. Yeah, it's Odin eating the golden story. apples. And that sounds like the Philosopher's Stone, right? Kind of does, yeah. It also sounds like apples is like a source of knowledge knowledge, yeah. or uh, knowing and also immortality. So like the it's island of Avalon or the island of apples would have a correlation to like the land of knowledge or the island mm -hmm. of knowledge. It's symbolic. I'm wondering if it's like actual physical or what. I mean, what do what do the druids uh, hold sacred on the apple tree? I wonder because they are definitely a mystical, uh, mystical deep, deep down the the tree rabbit hole. So I'm wondering what the what the druids say about the apple tree. I'm gonna, I guess, do some quick. What do they have? Uh, I think no? two letters in their in their alphabet, the Ogham language, and each one represents a tree. So there's a good chance one of them represents the apple. All right, let's check it out. Do they have an understanding of well, it? Well, I'm getting my book out, so I don't like tell any wrong information, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, going through that whole, you know, first you part the mist, and then you know, it's about retrieving your sword. Is what's well, the Oracle deck I go by a lot of the time because I'm a huge Celtic Welsh mythology fan. But um, in this uh, book, it says. Um, so like it's the five seeds of wisdom, 
right here. You cut it open and you see, see you see the five oh, yeah. the five pointed star. <laughs> the five seeds of wisdom. Uh, nice. So like um yeah, when you slice an apple in half, a five pointed star is revealed. Which I correlate that with Venus, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, star. Morning star. Yeah. Uh, but it says it's a symbol of wisdom across time and cultures. The apple nice. is uh, often most associated with the divine feminine. And we mm -hmm. see in Celtic rituals and culture that the island of apples is one of the names for the blessed isle of the other world. Um, so here the dead dwell blissfully at rest in a place that produced everything of its own accord. Avalon itself is named for the three apple trees that are said to flourish in abundance on her shores. Deriving from the Welsh name Ans Avalon, the island of apples, Avalon is also an island of healing, attended by a ninefold sisterhood skilled in the sight and in the curative arts. Basically, it's just like knowing, I guess after you go through the process it's no oh, excellent and interestingly when you cut an apple in half there's two five-sided stars and in the um ogham or ogham uh, alphabet of the druids it is the 10th letter known as quirt uh representing the apple tree and uh they say that um let's see it stands for the crab apple tree is associated with immortality vision and wholeness and the letter q uh, non-existent in Old Irish, and the court has been interpreted to mean hound or wolf, and synonym for warrior. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I got I got one here. Um, apple as a gateway to the world, and another legend from the Huron tribe. The world is divided into two parts. One part is the sky world, where the people lived, and the second world is the lower world, which all was water, where the animals lived. A girl who lived in the sky world was tired and went to take a nap underneath an apple tree. A hole appeared under the tree and she fell through along with the apple tree to the lower world below. She is caught by two swans and then a big turtle brings all of the animals together. They decide to bring the soil up from the depths of the water to create an island for her to live on. This doesn't work so well, but eventually the animals spread seeds and dirt onto the turtle's back and the girl lives there now. The world rests on the big turtle's back, which is why this land is called Turtle Island. Oh, wow. And you have Apple as a gateway, like her sister, the Hawthorne. Um, apple trees can be gateways to other realms and experiences. The holes that open in the ground, the apple as a key to the castle. The sleeping person under the apple tree is transported to a new place. An apple offers us these journeys and experiences in a much more gentle way than the Hawthorne tree. I, I think um, uh, I might be Mark mistaken. Mark wants you to but... share a screen. Okay. Um, here we go. I'm, uh, what's up? What's up? What's the, the movie with the rabbit and Cinderella and the lady in the blue uh, dress? Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Is there an apple in that one? Is that a thing? No. You're no. thinking of Sleeping Beauty. That is Sleeping Beauty. Uh, okay. I got, uh, I got my little cartoon. Snow White. Snow White. Yeah. Nice Makes me think oh, of... Uh, that's what it is. Johnny Johnny Appleseed. 
that story is on here um and it has what's let me see let me see but it goes into the where johnny appleseed came from john eastman in field and forest has much to share about the apple tree he notes uh as any wild food forager will attest that commercially grown apples are grafted and carefully managed these growing in the wilds are much wider variety oh that that's one thing that's interesting about the seeds i'll say um is each seed inside the apple is a different strain of apple than the apple it came from so no apple seed inside that apple is the actual strain of apple that that apple is <laughs> apparently they're all different really? so like yeah you'll get a red apple and all be different apple seeds inside of that oh, wow. so what's that you ever heard of apple divination? That's when they, because of what you just said, because all apples have this kind of like random pattern, you can cut open an apple and use it as like div a divination tool. There's an old New England practice of doing that. I'm trying to find the page here. I wonder if there's a relation between the colors of the apples and like the planetary correlation or like the mineral makeup in the apple that has like you know like a composition of the minerals that creates the color because i know sugar itself even though the inside is all apple color but like the different colors of sugar that you get with fruit sugar um they taste like that color because it's a literal different sugar which means it's a different comp composite or different makeup so like a yellow pineapple has that specific yellow fruit sugar and it tastes like the color yellow um, and then red tastes like blue, tastes like blue. You know what I'm saying? So I wonder if there's no. something that aligns to food magic, herbology, the correlation to the color spectrum and the planets when you're doing like. So one other thing I wanted to say is like <laughs> the fairy ring. The fairy ring is, you know, like a classic circle of mushrooms in the ground or what have you. Um, yeah. And, you know, you said that you need to make a circle in order to enact your magical spells in order to encapsulate that, right? Like creating a Merkaba or a mandala on the ground or when you're creating your sigil for doing your pentagrams and whatnot. But I wonder if when you find a fairy ring, that's where somebody had done or opened a portal at some time prior. And there was maybe something uh, like maybe that's where a spell had been done uh you know yeah you know you know how people all you know how people all sit in a circle to pass the uh pass the duchy on the left hand side to get high yes you know? i i think they're i think they're doing do. <laughs> i think they're doing the same thing with mushrooms dude i think they're sitting in a fairy circle and they're eating mushrooms and they're tripping out together that's so cool or like taking or drinking a concoction, you know, like in the in the uh, Native Americans, they have like some type of co concoction brewing and you all sit in a circle and you pass it around to everybody and you all drink it. It's I think it's somewhat the same type of idea is they're creating a circle and they're all connected and they're having this trip all together. Mm, kind of reminds me of absinthe a little bit. I like this like one. That's Mark. how they're going <laughs> to Fairyland, you know? Yeah. That's how they go to Fairyland. According to Celtic myth, the fairy rings are caused by the fairies and elves dancing around in a circle at night. Yeah, see? <laughs> oh, I love it. I don't know if anyone oh, man. Like to hang out. this way, but, but the music 
playing in the bed. I feel like we're in an elevator. Does anyone else feel like that? I can't hear. <laughs> You're hearing, like, when are we going to land on the fucking floor? <laughs> Just get there, dude. Yeah. They don't have a 13th floor, dude. They don't have a 13th floor here. You'll never get there. You have to fucking make the fairy ring and pop that vessel, baby. Yo, Steen, bro, you where do you some, live at? Uh, where do you live at, brother? Yeah, man. Oh, couldn't hear you. From the Netherlands. Can't okay, so what's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I think I your, mic, your mic might not be connected, brother, because we, we heard you very, very faintly. Yeah, those apples, though, you oh. cut them in in half and based on how many seeds you find that's the divination thing i was talking about before but oh, uh, oh. yeah do they have to be picked off a tree or can you go bomb no i don't think that matters at all i mean okay. some some apples that you get in the store i don't think have seeds in them i don't know i think some apples don't but that those might that might be an indication you're getting a gmo apple well obviously <laughs> <laughs> and what's the what's the dip, what's the spell you're gonna crack when you crack open a seedless apple? I bet that's yeah, some, that's like, scary. Suck yeah. your soul away a little bit. And in there, yeah. or how you tell the seeds apart? Yeah, maybe you can oh. read the colors before they sprout or something. You know, mm. but seeds seeds themselves. I've been trying to find more like if there is any like antiquated writings on like seeds and beans. I, I watched this video of like there was like a bean ritual across the world like in the ancient lemuria like the jack stock and how jack plants a magic bean and then it <laughs> takes him up to yes. through the seven letters like he goes to the yes. highest dimension where the gods are and then comes back down you know that's a symbol of the vegetable body right because we're we're comprised of physical you know on the physical level an animal a vegetable and a mineral in alchemy it's considered vegetable mineral and animal right so your flesh and your blood that's your animal part the bones the iron in your blood that's your mineral and then your neurons the electricity of your body that's your plant side so people yes. in ancient times considered your soul body like your plant body because just like plants communicate with each other telekinetically we have that aspect of ourselves right so some texts even say that way 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 back human beings actually uh came off of a tree in the garden of eden and we were like uh, you know in a proto form of humanity more vegetable than we were animal right that's the really mystical history that goes mm -hmm. into the theosophy though which you can't always trust what they say because they claim to talk to aliens but uh either way <laughs> uh, either way Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> uh, what about the Princess and the Pea? Also, like she, like I don't know that one. Yeah, uh, James and the Giant Peach. That one too. Yes. I got actually one on a fay, uh, an apple, an apple tail, that goes back Here to go. Irish, uh, the medieval Irish story Conla the Fair, an Irish prince fell in love with a beautiful fairy woman and uh, who arrived on the irish shore in a crystal boat she offered him an apple from the world of fairy and he took the fatal bite and was hers forever they set sail oh, for her magic island where the trees uh, bore both fruit and blossom 
and the winter never came. There they ate an ever-replenishing stock of apples, which kept them forever young. An otherworldly apple tree magically makes music, which can dispel all want or foe or woe or weariness of the soul. In Irish lore, the god Ongus offered three miraculous apple trees from the magical woods, uh, Bruig na Boind, New Grange, as a wedding gift from the, from the one of the Miletians. Uh, one of one was in full bloom, one shedding in its blossoms, and one was in fruit. The deliberate felling of an apple tree was punishable by death in ancient Irish law. It's uh, considered to be the noblest tree of all. Nice. Dude, that reminds me. I mean, there are so many stories about, you know, taking a bite from an apple and it being fatal or, you know, being cursed or whatever, you know, just the story yeah. of Adam and Eve, Snow White. Now this story, there is something, there has to be something to it. I mean, this is not like, it's, it's weird. And like the apple, it's a very, very feminine fruit as well. Like if you cut it in half, you know, look at it. What does it, what does it represent? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. And then like with the seeds, that makes it, that's the, uh, the masculine part then again. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I like, I like the toxable body being like the telepathic and the psychic part, because when you go and do like more, um, ceremonial psychedelics, you know, a lot of times you want to have a very clean vegetarian diet before going into that not having any meat so not really connecting with the mineral side of things but connecting only with the psychic side of things and so i think that's a large part of this you know like when especially like a lot of the the, the stories of the fairy and the fade like is coming out of the land like they're coming out of the hillside coming out of that vegetation you know the grass or like being a part of the trees and trees being ancient psychics you know if we're talking the plants being psychic and talking on a telekinetic level i feel like trees are the master communicators and they hold down the realm and um especially well, out here in the redwoods in northern california they do for sure we can't leave out the probably the most uh influential myth of apples I dare call it a myth, uh, the Garden of Eden and the apple, you know, the, uh, the forbidden yeah. fruit, right? So, and I think that comes from an Egyptian or, you know, something way further beyond, you know, like a Sumerian type of myth that involves apples. Because, again, as you guys were saying, apples are feminine and the 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 shape of the apple. Remember, Roman, when we're looking at how Venus makes that pattern in the sky it's the exact same shape as what you see when you look at that apple matrix right when you cut it from the bottom and you see the way it forms at the bottom or when you cut it from the side and you see the way the seeds are like pocketed in there that's a that's the venus uh flower right the body of man yeah yeah looks like it's a tori torito type field also on the apple yeah right, exactly right. and when you have just the core that basically fits in the uh, the Vesca Pisces. Mm -hmm. How so? What do you mean? Well, if you have the the apple core, um, just if, if if you connect the connect the lines, you could make a uh, a Vesca Pisces out of it. The um, the two circles intertwined. 
Look here, Roman. Nice. You got a picture yeah. of it. Oh yes. I'm a visual boy. I gotta I gotta see uh, I gotta see what we're talking about. Uh. Oh. Oh Boom, there you go. Oh that is like oh, I mean, oh, my that's not feminine. <laughs> I want to jump up in there. Let me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at her butthole hanging out. Oh, oh bud. Whoa, Dan. Come on, dude. Jeez, bud. All right. No body shaming here, baby. Let it hang, baby. Anyways. Just, um, it's a joke. I know, I know. Speaking of low hanging fruit. <laughs> 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 hey man you know it's all part of the tree uh, so we love it hey that well that image that mark showed earlier of the apple tree and the people under it uh, it had a blue serpent wrapped around the tree which i thought was interesting because the blue is like a higher vibrational right that's your throat chakra it looked like mm -hmm. it was talking to the girl so Almost like the snake was speaking to her some knowledge from the apple tree. Mm. Apparently apples yeah. are love and healing magic. Enjoy it. Yeah. Have, any, have any of you played uh, the Assassin's Creed video game? <laughs> the whole Which the one? whole game centers like around Templars and, and okay. secret societies and whatnot. But anyway, spoiler alert, at the end of the game, you get this magic apple and it unlocks the oh. whole realm and all this stuff and at the beginning of that game i always found it weird that they have this like religious disclaimer they're like oh we, we don't claim any religion with this video game and i always was like what what do they mean it turns out that's their way of hiding the fact that they're using all these secret society themes mm -hmm. within their video game so that's a great way you know you talk about video game mk ultra that's like an opposite version of that that that's a video game that can enlighten you yeah, word. I love that. Uh, I, I just watched Angels and Demons last night, actually, because um, something came up somewhere. Oh, it was like some Nick Cage thing. Somebody was talking about And I was like, Nick Cage and Tom Hanks are like the same. They're like the same motherfucker, I swear. And, you know, because you got the National Treasure movie and then um, the Da Vinci Code. But, you know, the author of, uh, of the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. Uh, anyways, point is, it's like Templars, man. Dan Brown. Dan Brown, yeah, those guys. Oh man, there's so much, so much light being thrown on them through like these different media sources that it just makes me like, just like, uh, I start to get like pretty skeptical on them. I'm like starting to even like, I'm I'm getting MK Ultraed myself. I'm like, okay, these guys didn't exist at all, <laughs> you know. But they did. They did. <laughs> Angels and Demons is a great movie, by the way. Tom, I mean, that's Hanks part of the uh, the cloning theory. I believe that they can. Um, I've, I've seen um, a well, I'll call it the documentary on uh, on Rumble just the other day that like just so many celebrities like just look like each other that you mm -hmm. know they could be yes. clones of each other or like just a a different version of um, of themselves. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. Uh, I mean. Like some people say the queen was dead for like 15 years. You know what I mean? Like that they just announced that she died. Like she'd had a clone like be her. So I mean, anything's actually possible with that. 
Oh, there are claims you know, that uh, Elton John played the Queen for the last uh, ah. years. <laughs> I love that. Speaking of fairies, you know. Exactly. Oh. That's unbelievable. Way to, way to keep it in the shape shift. Uh, I wanted to get into this other story uh, because it connects into this other thing that I wanted to talk about. It sort of it, it involves the fairies, but a little bit in a different way. So it's the Tua de Danon, the enchanting predecessors of the Irish fairies and elves by Carrie Sullivan. And uh, most people do not believe in elves. The little people along with fairies, banshees and werewolves are often thrown into the category of fantasy and left to molder unless some video game or children's book decides to make us make use of them for commercial purposes. Whatever you believe to be true, stories of fantastic creatures are present in most ancient cultures, particularly in European regions such as Germany, Scandinavia, and Ireland. Widespread disbelief and discrediting of the mythical mystical folklore have rendered damn it, serious research into the origins of elves, elves among, almost non-existent. However, recent scientific and historical analysis of the folklore of Ireland reveal that elves are not wholly fictional, but actually based on real-life beings. The etymology of elf, first, for clarity, it should be noted that the word elf is not indigenous to Ireland. This word derives from a term used in common Germanic, the ancestor language of the modern German, English, and several Scandinavian languages. Elf became a label for the Irish fairies when the English began to write and record Irish folklore. Originally, elf was used to describe all fairies. Over time, the term came to stand for a specific subset of fairies, those that are small and possess supernatural powers. Other common characteristics of elves are the ability to shapeshift or the possession of great wealth. The old Germanic roots of the word made distinctions between male and female elves, as well as good and evil elves. This specifically has been lost, and the English term elf can apply to any of the above. Um, scrolling down. Mixing myth and fact, the old elvish masters of Ireland, according to legend, there were six waves of masters of Ireland, and each has has some connection to the biblical story of Noah and the flood. Today is unclear how much of this is fact and how much is fabricated by medieval Irish monks in order to make the Irish history equally as important as Israel's. In each of the ways, women play a prominent role, reflecting the unique equality present on the island before its incorporation with the rest of Europe. Scholars today know the most about the final wave of conquerors, the Milesians, sons of Mill, a descendant of Noah, who reached Ireland from Spain in the 4th century BC. These were the Celts. They displaced the inhabitants known as the Tuatha de Danann, the progenitors of the Irish fairies. Wow. Um, the coming... Um, Originally, the fifth wave of conquerors were simply known as the Tuatha Dei, people of God, but this posed a problem for the Irish monks 
recounting their history because the Israelites were the people of God. So the early inhabitants of Ireland became the Tua de Danon, people of the goddess Danu, after their primary deity. Another group of settlers was the Fomorians, who will feature in the legends of the Tuatha de Danon and in Celtic myths as giants and sea raiders. Some believe that they were the remnants of a forgotten trading outpost of the African Empire of Carthage. The survivors of each successive wave of settlers were enslaved by the Fomorians. This, this solidified the characterization that the Fomorians were representatives of all that is evil in the world, the bad elves, in recounting the struggles between the Tuatha de Danan. Thus, the good elves and the Fomorians, the former takes on an aspect of semi-divine and the latter aspect of semi-demonic. Hmm. Uh, it is possible to trace how the actions of each group develop mythic dimensions over time. For instance, when the Tuatha de Danan came to Ireland from the Northern Isles, they burned their ships so that there would be no thought of retreat. This sent up a great cloud of dark smoke. By the time the Labor Gabala Erin, the Book of the Taking of Ireland, a.k.a. the Book of Invasions, was compiled in the 11th century, their arrival had been recast as they landed with horror, with lofty deed, in their cloud of mighty combat and specters upon a mountain of Conmancene uh, of Connacht. Without distinction to discerning Ireland, without ships, a ruthless course, the truth was not known beneath the sky of stars, whether they were of heaven or of earth. It is said that the Tuatha de Danann descended from a group of people who previously lived in Ireland but had to leave. They were called the Nemedians, and a faction of these people settled in Northern Europe after their population was disseminated following a battle against the Fomorians. When the Northern European Nemedians returned to Ireland, they became known as the Ta Tuatha de Danann. According to legend, they excelled in science, magic, and civilization. However, the Tuatha de Danann were not gods or goddesses or fairy people themselves, but a druidic race with rare insight into the workings of nature. They were a scientific people who comprehended laws of nature and were able to operate. Tuatha de Danann had all-around knowledge of curative and power properties of plants and used them for treatment of the various diseases, mortal wounds, and the commission of spells. They also were very skillful handicraftsmen and musicians, soldiers, and poets, and their weapon was considered as the best of modern women had almost the same civil rights as men and actively participated in all man's affairs even in war quite often they spoke as envoys at negotiations between conflicting parties and also sat at councils of conclusions of peace uh the Tuatha de Danann as hidden fairy folk to this day one can see in Ireland, the great barrows and intricately carved tumuli left behind by the pre-Celtic fairy people. In addition to their wisdom, the Tuatha de Danann 
fact, the vine's status was reinforced by their incredible beauty. Tall and slight, the pre-Celtic men and women had very light skin, delicate features, blue, gray, or green eyes, and long golden hair with the faultless beauty could make any mortal people crazy. This is similar to some depictions of elves today. Um, yeah, there was a part in here, I believe, about... Well, I guess I didn't have it. Reminds me of, anyway, uh, uh, this reminds me of this book I have here, Atlantis, I... In... <laughs> Atlantis in Ireland. And uh, it talks about the round towers of Ireland, which if you guys haven't mm. seen these before, they look very much like obelisks. I'll share my screen, uh, whoever, Roman or Dan, if you give me permission. Uh, but yeah, they, they're said some oh, of yeah. them have, fairies mm -hmm. haunting them right because fairies are known to haunt or stick around stone structures particularly very old stone structures mm -hmm. um, but yeah the, the the connection architecturally there you know i mean if you consider the people uh, who dan just described coming from the middle east doesn't this kind of look like an obelisk yeah mm -hmm. yeah the it's Especially if the um, the the bricks themselves are made of like a geopolymer sort of like you know constructed specifically to enact spiritual spirit counters, which I personally am in strong belief that our ancient ancestors were building things to enact spiritual beings. I think that they were harbingers of temple building as spiritual entrapment, you know, like on a bigger kind of level. And I fucking love that. Thank for bringing that up, man. In the so in the fairy tales too, it's. Uh, Go ahead. No, I just said there was a lot of history in what you just said. I mean, that is a lot just to break down like half of what you just said and how important it is. Is literally it makes me want to get out my like uh, Eric Klein book, like I always get do. But, <laughs> like seriously, it's right here. Um, <laughs> Honestly, it, it's just about the Iron Age alone. I mean, it's about half of what you just said. There's a lot to break down in what everything you just read. Um, if I want that link or whatever you just had, yeah, try to put that in the chat if yeah. you can. Yeah, I'd like to check that out too. Right. I, got, I gotta break the, all that down mentally. That was a lot. Yeah, those towers that Northern Isles reminds me of um Hyperborea actually. Um, and Atla the yeah. Atlanteans are also said to be descendants from Hyperborea. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that's in High Brazil. Uh, mm. I think Hyperboreans were centered in High Brazil. On some of the maps I've seen, I got mm. a I got a story from Tyr Nanog that I could share with you guys. Um, in the uh, Irish. Yeah, let me just say too that. Those yeah. towers and and fairy tales uh, are usually associated with wizards or with mages in some sort of respect. Mm -hmm. uh, like even in like the uh, Sword in the Stone, Merlin is in the tall tower. Um, it's almost like that's their kind of place where they hang out. The mages, uh, you know, so. That's pretty yeah. interesting that they also look like obelisks too. I wonder if there is an entrance in the obelisks at all. 
Well, the one in DC has a, an entrance that goes in. Well, if Rapunzel's there, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, let's towers <laughs> where they locked up the princesses, too. Yeah, because right? her magical hair. I'm telling you, because the spinning and weaving and like it's it all goes together, really. And the, I just had a child a couple years ago, so I'm like fresh on Disney movies. Um, they all have like that underlying mythical like knowledge in them if you know what you're looking at, basically. So they would like harness women for their power or what have mm -hmm. you that they had or you know anyway i mean the, the power that's in hair like you'll even find that referenced in the the biblical story of samson you know and he got <laughs> yeah. uh, like what was it seduced by a woman and uh when he was asleep his you know she cut his hair and there went his powers yeah, yeah. and samson Samson yeah. was a member of the tribe of Dan. Yeah. Danson. Which is two a day Dan. And what about Danzig? Danzig, yeah. Okay. Oh, Danzig's just carrying on the torch. It's like, let me account. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Hyperborea uh, is in the Ural Mountains, by the way. Where is this? No, I. The Ural Mountains. Ural Mountains. Okay. Hyperborea. Cool. Mm. Sorry. Tara is here, by the way. Recently, that it was thought to be like, to be an actual country. Like, only for the last, what is it, like 150 years where we've made it a myth. Mm -hmm. I've seen it portrayed in High yeah. Brazil, perhaps that uh, homie Romy shared a couple weeks back. Not as well, that, say it again. Remember how we were a couple weeks back of like the Hyperboreans were in that map? And I had you send it over to me in messages. Oh, word. Yes, that map. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Is it like where the North... Hold on. I think they're all throughout like the British Channel and maybe up even into Scandinavia. Like that. I see. Yeah, that's, that, the that's not the one he's talking it. about. Uh, or no, is it? it was a black and white map. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. What were you saying, Mark? Remember, we were just... We were just looking at the Apple myth, and I typed in mm -hmm. Dwatha de Danin, and here is that same image of the guys getting the apple from the fair maiden. And so look at that, an apple in the Tuatha de Danin uh, Can you go back to that imagery. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, can you blow it up? Yeah. Yeah, the muses, exactly. Yes, That's absolutely. exactly what they are. And I want to get into... And they're uh, the Morgans. I want to get into Melusine here in a second because she is a character that I think is actually a different version of like the Morgan and definitely a member of the Tuatha Dé Danann in my opinion. And look, she's got the little familiar her deers, the like yeah. almost like she is, you know, like can we maybe transform yeah, into the deer? Deer do deer so and deer eat apples. You know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> so yeah. do bears though. Everybody eats apples. Well, bro. it's funny you say that. It kind of all goes together. It does. The fairy The fairy guys mentioned the tower. The fairy mounds yeah. were known as the fairy hills or the fairy forts. And the remains of stone circles, ring forts, and hill forts still exist today. Uh, in other circular prehistoric dwellings in Ireland. But these remains are said to be either homes for fairies or other supernatural creatures or portals to other worlds. So that's pretty interesting. They show a couple of these ring forts. They kind of look like the mounds 
of the Adena and Hopewell tribe similar to that kind of appearance because they've been grown over by a lot of through a lot of time by a lot of grass and, and dirt. Yeah, so I have to share this with you guys. Like, um, this comes from like my favorite Oracle deck, like the only one that I use. It's this one. Um, I'll just show it to you in a second. But here is source right here. It's a mound. Ooh, ooh, ooh. No. Look. And it's a mound. And yep. That's where source ooh. comes from. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. All of them are mounds. So then, like, you know, as you, like, retrieve your sword or go through the uh, nine uh, seeds or the nine cycles or whatever and you learn, uh, that's when you, like, emerge out of the mound and then become a, a goddess. Like, you know, you All go right. from a, a, a Morgan, I guess, to a goddess. Right. I guess that's how you could uh, say it. And then they just bring up you know the, the known goddesses of celtic mythology bloated rhiannon uh some people say certain isn't one but i think she is um and you know anyway bridget before too what bridget yeah but you know what's mm -hmm. funny is they don't include her in this deck oh okay interesting it's wild i know that she's like the og right yeah <laughs> <laughs> the OG of OGs, but they don't include her in that deck. They uh, obviously um, Rhiannon. Here, let's see. So we have Blodowed, uh, Rhiannon, uh, Bronwyn, and then Sertowin, which is debatable. What do they represent? Pardon? What What do they represent? Or um, they're the, the goddesses that come out of the Avalonian cycle of the nine nine seeds, or whatever you want to call it. Oh. Yeah. Huh. So you go from like a Morgan, like a fae, like a fairy, a healer. You do all of like your healing, lore keeping, oh. artisan. Go through that cycle, the spinner, the silver wheel. Um, it's crazy, but yeah. like when you retrieve your sword, then that's what you become. It's like I love a that. College. Yeah. Mother yeah. Maiden Crown. No, yeah, I, it's funny you oh. say that too, it, because it uh, precedes Mother Maiden Crown. Like she's like the mother of the Mother Maiden Crown mythology she's older and she's not like the same person it's literally they're all sisters mm. love that and what's her name oh. the morgans oh the morgans those are all the morgans i yeah. i didn't know it was bronwyn and then there was another one. Oh, you want the goddesses yeah. uh okay so it's rhiannon yeah bronwyn blowed i don't Excuse my accent. And then Cerdewen. C-E-R-D-I-W-E-N. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I got a I got a love story from Tierna Nog that I wanted to go through real quick before we get over to the next thing. Uh in Irish yeah. myths 
the land of Tir Nanog, uh, is the realm of the other world, the place where the Fae lived and the heroes visited on quests. It was a place just outside the realm of man, off to the west, where there was no illness or death or time, but only happiness and beauty. It is important to note that Tir Nanog was not so much an afterlife as it was an earthly place, a land of eternal youth that could be reached by the way of magic. And in many Celtic legends, Tir Nanog plays an important role in the forming of both heroes and mystics. The very name Tir Nanog means land of youth in the Irish language. The War of Oisin. best known tale of Tir Nanog is the story of a young Irish warrior, Oisin, who fell in love with the flame-haired maiden Niam, whose father was the king of Tir Nanog. They crossed the sea of Niam's white with on Niam's white mare together to reach the magical land where they lived happily for 300 years. Despite the eternal joy of Tir Nanog, they were a part of Oisin that there was a part of Oisin that missed his homeland and he occasionally felt a strange longing to return to Ireland. Finally, Niam knew she could hold him back no longer and sent him back to Ireland and his tribe, the Fianna. Oisin traveled back to his home on the magic white mare, and when he arrived, he found that all of his friends and family were long dead. His castle had overgrown with weeds. After all, he had gone for 300 years. Oisin turned back the mare to the west and sadly prepared to go back to Tirnanog. On the way, the mare's hoof caught a stone and Oisin thought to himself that if he carried the rock back with him to Tirnanog, it would be like taking a bit of Ireland back with him. As he learned, as he learned down to pick up the stone, the st he stumbled and fell and instantly aged 300 years. The mare panicked and ran to the sea, heading back to Tirnanog without him. However, some fishermen had been watching on the shore as they were astonished to see a man age so fast. Naturally, they assumed magic was afoot, so they gathered up Oisin and took him to see St. Patrick. When Oisin came before St. Patrick, he told him the story of his red-headed love, Niam and his journey in the <laughs> magical land of Tir Nanog. Once he was finished, Oisin crossed out of his lifetime, and he was at last in peace. So that's a pretty wild story. He was riding across the ocean on the say on the magical white mare. Sign me up. What do you think uh tier uh tier Nanog is at? Camelot. Sounds a lot like <laughs> King Arthur. <laughs> Sounds like it's all the way across the sea. It's not just some channel like the hotel or something. It's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, shit kind of sounds like the story of odysseus as well uh on the um, what is it the island of the um, of the nymphs yep um, mm -hmm. uh crossing the uh, the seas or the ocean on the white mare reminds me of um odin crossing the the nine mm -hmm. realms on yeah uh, near oh yeah interesting wonder if that has a more astronomical wow. Uh, story mm. to it. Mm. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I think I think all I think most a lot of the it does. Is, in a way, yeah. Yeah, everything I, does. It's I all got the same. I got this. I've uh, been yeah, pulled yeah. up here. The um, if you guys haven't read read what it is yet, this is a uh, uh, indigenous Native American 
uh, belief in fairies or, or their story on some fairies. The Nunehi, oh. which sound like the uh, Minahuni of Hawaii, which are yeah. uh, like little people. But the Nunehi are a race of immortal spirit people in Cherokee mythology and the Cherokee language. Nunehi means the people who live anywhere. But it is often translated into English as the people who live forever or simply the immortals. The Cherokee believe that the Nunehi are a type of supernatural human being completely dis distinct from ghost and nature spirits as well as from gods. In this sense, the Nunehi, um, the, oof, I'm just going to say little people in the Cherokee language are the Cherokee equivalent of fairies in traditional European folklore. The belief in fairy-like beings is universal among all ethnicities, including all American Indian tribes. According to the Cherokee folklore, Nunehi had many underground townhouses throughout southwestern Appalachian Mountains, and there were particularly fond of high mountain peaks where no timber ever grew. Hunters would often hear the Nunehi in the mountains singing and dancing and beating drums, which is a thing. But when they would go toward the sound it would shift about and suddenly seem to be coming from behind them or from some other direction so that the person hearing the sound would never be able to find where it was coming from and i wanted to read this uh this is a an account in north carolina nunehi defend franklin north carolina during the american civil war by which time nikwasi had become known as Franklin, North Carolina. A group of Union soldiers approached Franklin with the intention of burning it to the ground. Well, uh, a group of scouts returned to their commanding officers and warned them not to attack the town because it was heavily guarded by soldiers on every corner. However, the town was defenseless and every able-bodied person had already left to fight in the war. Unaware of this fact, the Union soldiers then changed their course to Atlanta, Georgia, burning every town in their path. According to the Cherokee, it was the Nunehi that protected Franklin from the Union soldiers. Shaman. Spirits. Oh, yes. Cool. I live actually on the Trail of Tears, like where they dumped off the Native Americans, like right there. Um, I live right where it started, right near Cherokee. Yeah, that's what's up. Um, but yeah, I um, they're just that people that are able to communicate with spirits um, through rituals. Mm -hmm. Through shapes. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. When we were talking about the Tour de Danon and uh, their, their battle with the Molessians, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I have a story here about the Melissians. Uh, they come from Mill. The guy's name was Mill. In the Labor Gabala Erin, a medieval Irish Christian pseudo history, the Melissians, Irish Gertir Mildi Aspenin. <laughs> are the final race to settle in Ireland. They represent the Irish people. The Molessians are Gales or Gauls who sail to Ireland from Iberia, Hispania, mm -hmm. after spending hundreds of years traveling the earth. When they land in Ireland, they contend with the Tuatha de Danann, who represents the Irish pantheon of gods. The two groups agree to divide the island between them. The Molessians take the world above while the Tuatha take the world below. Uh, whether the word Molessian came 
before or after the name male Espane, uh, which is the first, which is the Irish form of the Latin Miles Hispania, soldier of Hispania, is uncertain. Joseph Lennon writes that no Irish language cognate of the word exists and that the word Milesian is not used to refer to the Irish with any regulatory until the 18th century. Scholars believe that the tell is mostly an invention of medieval Christian writers. But here's what the myth says. This is uh, pretty interesting, and it connects to a lot of things that we've been talking about lately. Uh, the Labor Gabala, which is compiled in the 11th century AD by an anonymous writer, purports to be a history of Ireland and the Irish, the Gaels. It tells us that the man, uh, that all mankind is descendant from Adam, Adam through the sons of Noah, and that a Scythian king named Phineas Farsade, descendant of Noah's son Japheth, is the forebearer of the Gauls. Phineas, a prince of Scythia, is described as one of the 72 chieftains, hmm. 72, who built the Tower of Babel. His son Nell weds Skota, daughter of an Egyptian pharaoh, and they have a son named nice. Goidel Glass. Goidel <laughs> crafts, Goidel crafts the Goidelic uh, language from the original 72 language that arose after the confusion of tongues. Goidel's oh. offspring, the Gaels, leave Egypt at the same time as the Israelites of the Exodus and settle in Scythia. After some time, they leave Scythia and spend 440 years wandering the earth, undergoing a series of trials and tribulations akin to those of the Israelites, who spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Eventually, they reach Hispania by sea and conquer it. There, Goidel's descendant, Briogan, founds a city called Brigantia and builds a tower from the top of which his son Ith glimpses Ireland. Brigantia refers to Caruna, then known as Brigantium in modern-day Galatia, Spain, and Briogan's tower is likely to have been based on the Tower of Hercules, which was built by Caruna by the Romans. Ith sails to the islands with a group of men. He is welcomed by its three kings, Makul, Makkekt, and Makgreen. These three are members of the Tuatha de Danann who ruled Ireland at the time. Evidence suggests that the Tuatha de are the main pagan gods of Ireland. Ith is then killed by unnamed attackers, and his men return to Iberia. The eight sons of Ith's brother, Mil Espane, or Galam, lead an invasion forced to avenge his death and take Ireland. After they land, they fight against the Tuatha Dé and make for Tara, the royal capital. On the way, they are met on three mountains by Banba, Fonda, and Iru, the wives of Ireland's three kings. They are believed to have been a trio of land goddesses. Each woman says that the Gaels will have good fortune if they name the land after her. One of the gales, Armagin, uh, promises it shall be so. At Tara, they meet the three kings who defend their claim to joint kingship of the land. They ask that there be a three-day truce 
during which the gales must stay a distance of nine waves from the land. The gales agree, but once their ships are nine waves from Ireland, the Tuatha Day conjure up a great wind that prevents from prevents them from sailing back to land. However, Emergen claims calms the wind by erecting a verse. The surviving ships return to land, and the two groups agree to divide Ireland between them. The Gaels take the world above, while the Twatha take the world below, the other world, i.e. the other world, and enter the Chi, the ancient burial mounds that dot the Irish landscape. Amerigan divides the kingship between Edermon, who rules the northern half of Ireland, and Eber Finn, who rules the southern half. The division of the land was probably invented by the writers to explain the Ermon and Eber uh, modern scholars, however, believe that these were fictional characters and that their writers were attempting to give the medieval dynasties more legitimacy. <laughs> but also, there is a, a part of that story is that they take uh, the Jacob's Pillar or the Jacob's Pillow uh, to Tara and they place it in um, the 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 throne of uh, Tara, and everybody that goes there to become king is uh, made king upon the stone of destiny, um, which is also uh, a biblical tale of Jacob. So it's very interesting because then you later on you have the Jacobite revolution or the Jacobite revolution, and um england there's which, your uh, princess and the i'm gonna need you to send me that history lesson too because you just pretty much put like the <laughs> Macedonian in one thing like you put everything almost every irish myth into and the bible and yeah Egyptian mythology into like one paragraph <laughs> once again so um it's it's uh it's too? a very interesting story it connects with was that Ralph Ellis? Huh? Was that no, Ralph Ellis? No. Okay. no, that's uh that's uh uh Wikipedia, man. <laughs> uh but it connects sticky, to sticky uh, wiki. It, it connects to Aknaden and Moses and uh possibly Aaron. the fleeing of the Exodus and Aaron, yeah, to Ireland, which is yep. pretty interesting. That I have some amazing. other articles that go in a little bit deeper, but I wanted to share that because we are going to try to get somebody on the show that talks about that very subject for for next year when we do Ireland, Scotland. Oh, yeah. That's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me see yeah. here. I love it. Uh, I wanted to talk about one character before we before we wane off uh and before uh, you know before too long is the melusine a uh this original little mermaid story and the fairy uh oh. the, the daughter the daughter of the fairy and the king uh yeah yeah, yeah. okay um what one day, Elinus, the king of Albany, met a beautiful fairy by a, mount, by a fountain. So lovely was the fairy, who called Priscine, that the king fell in love with her and eventually made her his wife. In time, Priscine grew heavy with 
child. During her, her pregnancy, she made one condition to the king, Elinus, that had he had to agree that he would not see her while she was in labor. However, in his excitement, when he heard that she was going to give birth to triplets, he rushed into the birthing chamber to see his new daughters, ignoring the taboo. As a result, a very unhappy Priscine had to leave the kingdom forever, taking her three daughters with her to the lost Isle of Avalon. King Elinus mourned the loss of his family for seven years. His son, Nathus, by his first wife, became the king. The three girls, Melusine, Meliur, and Palatine, grew up in Avalon. On their 15th birthday, the eldest, Melusine, asked why they had been taken to the island of Avalon. Upon him, her father had broken his word, forcing them to leave the kingdom. Melusine sought revenge. Together with her sisters, Melusine captured Elinus and locked him in with his riches in a mountain. Priscine had become enraged when she learned what she, the girls had done to their father and punished each of them for their disrespect. Melusine was condemned to take the form of a serpent from the waist down every Saturday. And if she found a husband who would agree to see agree to never see her on a Saturday. She would remain a human woman. But if her husband saw her on a Saturday, she would revert to the serpent until judgment day. Melior had to keep a sparrow hawk in a castle in Armenia until she was rescued. And Palatine was imprisoned with her treasure on top of a mountain mountaintop in Aragon. The fairy Melusine was of the fairy Priscine and the King Elibus of Albany. She became the fairy queen of the forest of Columbiers in the French region of Poitou. One day, she and two of her subjects were guarding their sacred fountain when a young man, Raymond of Poitiers, burst out of the forest. Melusine spent the night talking with Raymond, and by dawn, they were betrothed. But with one condition... Melusine requested that Raymond promise to never see her on a Saturday. He agreed, and they were married. Melusine brought her husband great wealth and prosperity. She built the fortress of Lusignan uh, so quickly that it appeared to be made by magic. Over time, Melusine built many castles and fortresses, churches, towers, and towns. And each of a single night thought, uh, throughout the region, she and Raymond had ten children. But each child was flawed. The eldest had one red eye and one blue eye. The next had an ear larger than another. And another had a lion's foot growing from his cheek. And another had but one eye. And the sixth son was known as Jeffrey with a great tooth, as he had a very large tooth. In spite of the deformities, the children were so strong, talented, and loved throughout the land. And one day Raymond's brother visited him and made Raymond very suspicious about the Saturday activities of his wife. So the next Saturday, Raymond sought his wife, finding her in a bath, where he spied on her through a crack in the door, and he was horrified to see that she had the body and the tail of a serpent from the waist down. He said nothing until the day their son, Geoffrey, with a great tooth, attacked a monastery and killed 100 monks, including one of his brothers. Raymond accused Melusine of contaminating his line with her serpent's nature, thus revealing that he had broken his promise to her. And as a result, Melusine turned into a 15-foot serpent and circled the castle three times, waiting piteously, and then flew away. 
She would return at night to visit her children, then vanish, and Raymond never slept happy again. Melusine appeared at the castle wailing whenever a count of Lusignan, or I'm saying that in a terrible French accent, actually not a French accent at all, so I do apologize. Um, <laughs> it was said that the noble line which originated with Melusine will reign until the end of the world. Her children included the king of Cyprus, the king of Armenia, the king of Bohemia, Wait, is that Rudolph II? The Duke of Luxembourg and the Lord of Lusignan. As it goes, Melusine was said to see, uh, said to fly three times around the north tower of the castle of de Lusignan <laughs> just prior to any bad occurrence. She was last seen in the 16th century flying around the north tower just days before the castle burnt to the ground. Apparently, of the 10 children, 10 children two were normal, and Melusine's line was carried. So... Uh, some of the myth, uh, legitimately, like in French history, a lot of people say that they are of the family line of Melusine. So they're claiming to have serpentine like bloodline. And that's why that story holds true to this day. And there's a lot of a lot of Melusine worship. And, you know, the Starbucks logo is, in fact, Melusine. So uh, Maybe you think of dragons as well, you know, locked in the in the mountain with all his riches and flying around mm -hmm. the castle. And somehow also made me think of, um, with not seeing on Saturday and all, with the, the story of uh, Shrek, Shrek and Fiona. Like That's the, what I thought the, about, yeah. Yeah, like, the, you don't, don't, you know, you don't want to see me or, like, don't look at me after the sun. But it was inverted, you know, the story. Yeah. Yeah. Just so many things all at once, and like indeed Starbucks, and um, kind of the um, oh, what is it? The the Gnostic god who is said to have a um, uh, demiurge uh, with the chicken snake god, kind of the snake for feet thing. That's <laughs> a quaddle. That guy, yeah, Abraxas, yeah, the feathered serpent, yeah, yeah, Abraxas. No, not Quetzalcoatl. That's not the, the Demiurge. It's another story of the same <laughs> Okay, uh, they, that's, they, that's true. They also <laughs> say that, like the Queen of Babylon, um, all of her sons ascended to the throne, and that's why, like, the temple is unclean and will remain unclean. And I can't quote that verbatim where I read that because I don't know where, but that's, that's like a myth somewhere. I'll find it. I wanted to talk about uh, Amphitrite, the wife of Poseidon. If you guys want to go into some, some more sea nymphs. Yeah. Sea nymph it up, dude. All right, cool. Uh, according to the legend, the goddess Amphitrite is the wife of the sea god Poseidon and was herself one of the goddesses of the seas and the oceans mentioned in Greek mythology that predated Poseidon. Amphitrite was known in Roman mythology by the name Salachia. In Greek mythology, she married to Poseidon, but in Roman mythology, she's married to Neptune, Poseidon's Roman counterpart. With Poseidon, Amphitrite has two kids, Triton, who was a merman and became a minor sea god, and a daughter, Rhode, who was a sea nymph. Amphitrite, the goddess pronounced as Amphitrite, uh, was one of the 50 sea nymphs born to Nereus and Darius. Her name means the third element, which is translated into English 
uh, when she has the power to manipulate seawater, she can control sea creatures. And in mythological texts, she is known to be the personification of the sea. She has extensive knowledge of herbs. She could also transform herself into a hideous sea monster and is portrayed as a mermaid with a serpent tail. Uh, here are some of the engaging facts uh, will help you get more knowledge of her. They have like 50 or some facts about her. Um, but a yeah. lot of covered in that. Uh, yeah, because there's Roman mythology within that and Greek mythology within that as well. Like, yeah. you know, like uh, Pandora's box and the two serpents that were supposed to carry it across the water, but they they opened the box. So because they weren't supposed to, but they did. Um, it goes, <clears throat> it's like a layered uh, Greek mythology story, too. It's kind of weird. It is. She has a lot of powers, too. They say that she could travel the seas as a mermaid. Since she's a sea goddess, she can, of course, breathe underwater. She has the ability to manipulate seawater and move around seawater however she wishes. She can breed sea monsters. She also holds the ability to transform into a big and hideous sea monster herself. She's able to create enormous sea waves enough to drown entire cities. She has extensive knowledge of herbs, as I mentioned earlier. She also has control over underwater plants. And she's competitive by nature as the first daughter of Nereus and Poseidon's wife. Um, she was meant to maintain ocean peace. She possesses all the common Olympian goddess powers like immortality, superhuman strength, omnipresence, teleportation, and metamorphosis. Reminds me of uh, if like the sea monster is an analogy for like uh, like a giant submarine, like a alien technology, but moves like in and out of water really True. quickly. You know, that's a good point. Uh, but also, I mean, I think you know, like if we're talking like pre-deluge on a lot of these stories, like if they're coming at times when you know they're supposedly more uh, lands in the Pacific, you know, and some of these like these 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 land masses were more revealed that the oceans were differently like how these stories you know could be like traveling across water um and all that all that fun stuff you know because the the serpent symbolism to the boats and ships and things and i'm, I'm wondering if you know she's she's going across the water on two serpents and wonder if those are just like majestic boats or ships canoes i could see that they canoes. said that uh, quetzalcoatl came over on serpents mm-hmm Two. Mm -hmm. What are they? It's a spaceship that can go underwater. So it's a boat, but it's also a ship. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. What do they call those ones in Hawaii? Roman. Do that. <laughs> what do they call those ones in Hawaii that have like the, the little side rail? Off the oh, boat? oh man. Those are, those are like just the Hawaiian style canoes. Yeah. Uh, I, Yo, I'm not sure. What they the, call the walk, walk up canoes. Oh, you guys. Oh, my gosh. I just went to Crystal Bridges. And uh, they have yeah, that's it. Which one? Outrigger. Outrigger. Dude, I've seen them. I've but. seen like, hit like 10 people in one of those like surfing big waves in a break. Like mm -hmm. and they just like all flip over the whole thing slowly. Like yeah. the, the, the small side was like, oh, you could see it from like a distance. Oh, shit, they're going. And they just go and they take the wave. Oh man, oh, so gnarly. 
I wonder if they like connected uh, two ships like that so that way they'd have more stability in the seas because they would be less likely to flip over if they were had something connecting them uh, together and also separated so that way because you know they're not going to be able to flip or they're called catamarans yeah yeah oh yeah Flick. the marshallese this is what they uh there's an actual like okay hold on i'll figure this okay so at crystal bridges Wait museum up. of modern art they have one like there that you could see and they're called uh they're from the marshallese uh boat builders and uh they're called corkors corkors but they're like the same Car-car. style yes yeah, catamaran yeah it's a catamaran like how did they know <laughs> you know these are marshallese y'all even know where the marshallese islands are probably not because we blew them up yeah the marshall islands got <laughs> they got flooded by the raising sea levels yeah. First people to become refugees. I mean, oh, they're right. They're here. Uh, we um, in Arkansas, we gave them, I say we, our government gave them um, like dual citizenship and places to live here in um, Bentonville because of that. Surprised California doesn't have a desalination plant with the rising sea levels and floods. Oh, don't it? Even dude, I've been. T- I know it makes no sense, but the the politics here are ridiculous, dude. Like they they could have they installed do, desalination plants. Australia's yeah. doing it. Yeah. Hey, if you want to know how to uh, protect yourself from the the rising water and from the sea and all, you know. Yeah. Go visit the right? beach. We know all about it. Like we literally <laughs> we created a new province because we needed you know we needed more land. People wanted to move, so we're we're like, okay, we'll make land. Yeah, so now we have both provinces. Suck up the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we literally just, you know, we pumped it dry and we we ducked it off. Like I, I don't exactly know how we did it, but it was fairly fairly recently as well, like somewhere in the nineteen seventies, I believe. Good engineering. Oh yeah, um, like we have we literally have studies for that how to like deal with water and how to to work with water i mean all those uh, you know fancy man-made islands in the uh like the the uh which all the way too rich um oil uh oil barons get um you know with the, um, the shape of like palm trees and whatever it's all made by the dutch <laughs> yeah. those are all made by the dutch oh, oh and off the coast of uh qatar and then what is yeah. it uh What's the big the big hot spot over there? Abu Dhabi or something like that? Yeah, yeah, those those are all those are all made by the Dutch, or at least you know by uh, by Dutch run companies. Dubai, Dubai, yes, Dubai has all those weird islands. I was thinking at first you're talking about China Chinese, does too, though. China has been doing it yeah, too. The Chinese make, but it's been like not like it's a mil- military. Mm, yeah, because they're like it's a military type of action. They're trying to like extend yes. their territory past its past their uh, oceanic, in, like past where they are, like in maritime laws. Completely illegal. Yeah, the Dutch took over the Americas first before they gave it over to the English. I think. Yep. 
Yeah, New York used to be New Amsterdam. There are uh, still um, there's still stuff dug up from uh, from when it was Dutch territory. A lot of the names still refer to uh, to Dutch places. You know, uh, just Brooklyn and Harlem, two of the best examples. Those are cities here in the, um, in the Netherlands. Mm, I didn't know that. Interesting. So basically, everybody came from the New Netherlands. Yeah. You can see that map of that lion that's like Florida's his leg sticking out. That's usually the, the map of the Dutch colony. The Dutch lion, yeah. 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 There's a we're lot talking, more story than that, but yeah. <laughs> we're we're talking last night about, you know, um, you know, like kind of like the I don't think it's so hidden, but like the hidden Odin worship that's in Freemason uh and shit, you know, like I, I think that uh, there we we pray we play a lot more um, homage to the north uh, and like the old old ways like the higher up you go on the on the occult I, I feel like a lot of it is is uh, Odin worship you know like even with the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol where they have George Washington riding the rainbow you know like completely pictured as odin like george washington is odin and is like a huge freemason member you know like george washington like they have you know in the museum right like he's just absolutely known for um his devotee it's kind of so. um it kind of reminds me of what morgan was talking about the about the morgan and how they go through the different ranks of the morgan and then they come out as a goddess george washington uh went up the ranks of the freemasons and then he came out as a deity and he was deified mm -hmm. as odin of oh, 33rd degree mm -hmm. i mean the Ro the romans did that too you know with, uh, with caesar for example or alexander uh, alexander the great they were all mm -hmm. deified you know mm -hmm. yes and um the nine rings the nine circles also makes me think of um dante dante's inferno the nine circles of hell going deeper and deeper oh yeah nine mm -hmm. worlds of Norse. George Washington definitely loved planting apple trees. You know what I'm saying? The secrets trees. Yeah, didn't Newton like Newton? He sat under a uh, a apple tree, right? When he uh, theorized the whole. Up, uh, he did. I wonder if that's why we give apples to our teacher. Oh, oh shit! That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. And, the, and then the mythos that. of the worm being in the teach in in the apple. What's up with that, man? Oh, like would that be then like the teacher's like, pet? <laughs> something up to the teacher. <laughs> yeah, there's a teacher. That all comes from the German the whole teaching system. The way it's established, it's a German uh, system. So. I mean, who knows? They have, Are you they have all those folklore. They have all the same things within their culture. Kindergarten, German word. Hi. Hi. Hey. <laughs> oh snap! Well, hey, Mark, you got any? Uh, you got any? You got any other fairy stories? Did you have a a, a favorite fairy folklore? Anything? Uh, Maybe another what, another Kuchin, Kuchin chair? Mm. Well, I think we may have covered this one already, the prophecies of Merlin and uh, Jeffrey of Monmouth's story of the dragon that uh, Merlin 
plot. Didn't we just kind of talk about that or similar subjects? Uh, there's another story about a dragon that I think Shakespeare wrote about. I'm not sure, but I'll read a little bit. Oh, no, it was Edmund Spencer. So the fairy queen is a poetic depiction of a dragon, uh, which is sort of used as a kind of like antichrist figure. So, but it takes place in fairyland. But no, I don't have anything prepared other than there are chapters in this book that are interesting. Hell oh, yeah. Oh, I got I got Wait, what's the book? I'm sorry, Mark. That's all right. It's called The Book of Dragons. The uh, Book of Dragons? I actually have never heard of that one. Yeah, Penguin. It's a Penguin classic. Oh, nice. I love Penguin. Yeah. Well, fairies having um, like butterfly wings or uh, dragonfly wings is a fairly recent thing because the, um, the church gave them uh, bat wings because you know speaking of demonizing they like literally demonized them yeah. uh, i believe and uh, speaking of shakespeare i believe it was shakespeare who came up with um either of them having insect wings or uh like actual feathers yeah. well wings. in a lot of the older depictions of fairies you're right they're not winged at all that's like a sort of illustrative quality to give people the idea of flying but the older depictions show what looks like small humans, right? And they're usually glowing like light bodies. Maybe child size, sometimes like up to sometimes smaller. Well, we saw some pictures of that earlier. I mean, those fairies we were looking at earlier didn't have wings. The ones that were dancing around the fairy circle, they're just sort of like what we think of as little people, maybe. I think Could the picture. The shape itself, like of the like the pattern on the wing, is specific for like defying physics, like that CD or uh, what was it called? BCE, like uh, we talked about it on the show when uh, that we had at the beginning of the month last month. What was that? We're talking about Chaz research yes. into the yes. wings, huh. yeah. I don't well, know if just that like the, the symbology, no, no, it doesn't, but like just like the aspect of like you know, they're like. Merkaba, their thing that allows them to travel from like one realm to well, another, have, like kind of like a toroid civilization. We have always been, you know, mythological and definitely connected to mm -hmm. ideas like immortality and perfection. And, you know, the Egyptians considered them like, uh, I think, some sort of psychopomp, like they would have a, a you know, be in their sarcophagi because having a bee with them would do something special in the underworld and their mm -hmm. afterlife. Mm -hmm. and that's a big part of the fairy lore too. It's like, you know, fairies exist in the mirror realm, which some people say is like the afterlife, right? It's mm -hmm. like what I mean by mirror realm is it looks exactly like what we would call normal waking consciousness, but it has that dreamlike aspect to it, almost like a, a lucid dream, right? That would be the most, the more or more or modern timeline experience of that. Yeah. The coast of dead people, spirits. Like, like if you could like legitimately hop timelines, like from one to another and hop into a timeline where you're, you know, you're 29 uh, and then you just die. It's like your fountain of youth is finding out how to like hop in other timelines. And it's just like, you haven't lived forever. You just keep you know, placing yourself with a, 
another version of yourself and you just keep finding out how to go back in time in one life and that's it. i don't know you know all the saint germain accounts man like you know there's something to this apps this absolute you know the absolute final tier of the the alchemical I mean, what are we doing here? You know, like what are what are we what are we doing here with the alchemical process? Are we transmuting or are we not? Are we ascending or not? Are we busting through fucking timelines or are we not? You know, I don't know. Work. That's what we're trying to find Apparently, out. Apparently, you know? we are traveling at the speed of light underneath Switzerland. We got one foot through the veil. <laughs> yeah. We're coming through. Uh, so that's what I we're got, doing, woman. Yeah. So we need to be fairies. I would, I would like, I will, I'm going to take this new, this, this, this new moon energy that's coming on and I'm going to go and try to legitimately summon a fairy and make some sweet love. Okay. Like it's you going down. Zoom me, fairy. Zoom me and make me want you. A couple months back, a couple of pixies at a Be careful. Uh, I'll record everything. So just so we have with video your, proof. With your pocket rabbit. Let us yeah, know. They're fucking fairies on OnlyFans. Jackrabbit's out here, actually. Have you guys ever seen a jackrabbit? Real jackrabbit? Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Big. They show huge. I, I, they're rabbits. They're so damn big. Yeah, they are. Um, does anybody else have uh, anything else to add to the fairies? Otherwise, we can uh, shut it down. Rabbits with little shells. What do you got, Morgan? Oh, I just wanted one to time. show you guys something real quick after everyone's done because I've already talked about it. I was just gonna like um kind of quote and give you like guys stuff about you know what I said. So go ahead. Okay, I wanted to do a quick thing. Okay. Uh this is about a changeling. The changelings were known to uh have children would disappear, taken by the changelings, and they would leave a changeling in its place, disguising it as the mm. child. All right, in this story, the fairies have supposedly displayed an alarming habit for kidnapping human beings, in particular babies. And there are many such reports. One account listed a various website details that report of a woman who in 1844 gave birth to a baby. Sometime later, the infant was lying in bed with the mother and father. When the mother awoke to find the baby gone, she would soon find that it had been taken by the fairy folk. And the report would say the incident thus. Uttering an exclamation of fear, lest the fairies should have taken the child. She jumped out of bed. And there, sure enough, a number of the little sandy things had got the baby at by the foot at the bed and were undressing it. They fled away through a hole in the floor, laugh, laughing as if they shrieked and snatching up her child. In ex an examination, she found that they had laid all the pinned heads head to head as they took them out of the dress uh, for months afterwards, she always slept with the child between herself and the husband and used carefully to pin it by its bedclothes to the pillow in the sheets that it might not be snatched hastily away. This happened in the old house, which stood where the new one now stands on the south side of the vicarage gate. The woman as she heard tell, uh, had a child changed and one, a poor thing, left in his place, but she was very kind to it. And every morning on getting up, she found a small piece of money in her pocket. My informant firmly believes in the existence of them. 
and wonders how it is that of late years no such thing have been seen. Now, they're also known to, um, if you can make them laugh, they'll give you your kid back according to some legends. Mm. Or you, sometimes you have to torture and I, or sometimes I gotta, you have to torture them. I, gotta, I, I do have a story. I, I think Tara has something to add to. Tara, you got something? Heck yeah. Slippity slide that on in there. Come on, hit us with some of that right there. Come on now. Leave it a hot Yo. Shut up. Can you translate that? <laughs> slide it on in there. Hibbity hobbity yo. Come on. <laughs> Come on with it. I don't know. I'll do my story first while you find the paragraph. Yeah. Well, let me just, I'll just read the paragraph. Go ahead. Can you turn her mic up? She's really quiet. Or hit the game, baby. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yes. There it is. <laughs> okay. Loud and proud. Um, let's. Uh... You got this. All right. Um, I think I changed the page because now I don't see. Well, I'll read mine because it's Take really your time. Find it. I'll read mine. It's short. Okay. Following a drug overdose in 1989, a blue fairy oh. took Jeffrey by the hand, leading him to a proverbial stairway to heaven. After watching a dog lead another soul up these steps, three figures, his grandmother among them, appeared to Jeffrey, taking him on a series of journeys. At one point, he encountered a cadre of foul-smelling jackal-headed people who demanded to know his identity from him. <laughs> where he had come his journeys escalated in intensity until jeffrey met jesus and mary before finally awaking in a hospital that's just one small story from joshua cutchen's book that i was telling you guys about <laughs> wait you said it was a drug big. overdose mm -hmm. and th this guy jeffrey which is funny because we had a jeffrey in the other story yeah, they're all big jeffrey, one jeffrey. Yeah, this guy he had must have had a big tooth because he was doing a lot of drugs and <laughs> it caused him to see a blue a fairy cream. and he had a crate. But there it goes to show you, you know, like even on you know psychedelics, people see these beings. There's oh, several sure. mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. But Tara, you got something? Which is yeah, which is what I was trying to convey earlier with the fairy circles and them eating mushrooms as they're right. having trips well, my and going to fairyland yeah we talk yeah. to each other um well just this little paragraph um just the one about the dragon i <laughs> maybe that's how they all dream together too and like Figure out what mm -hmm. they're doing is by eating these mushrooms and going on trips. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like the ritual part of it because there's there's like different there you have to do like different parts for it to all work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Come across fairies dancing in a circle at night. They make you go into the center and dance till you're dead. <laughs> Fairy rings. Oh yeah, that was in a movie we watched last night. Actually, <laughs> were, were we talking about that like mosh pits? How they do that, like doing like the death circle or like the the pit circle? Travis oh. Scott. Oh, 
Yeah. Man, that's okay. Well, all right. The wall of death. I mean, they do the wall of death where like they get the, the crowd to divide into two and then everybody just runs into each other. Uh, two. Good times. Good times. Who yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that. Oh, man. Oh. All right. right I'll use several. Still lives. Right on. <laughs> I've never done any wall of death, but definitely some mosh pits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I ever told the story. Oh, this fits in because the guy was, wearing, in fact, wearing a kilt. Uh, I was at a corn show, <laughs> and I was, I was 19, and it was just like me and this, at the end of the night, like the final song, me and this one other guy last in the mosh pit because I was going nuts. And uh, we were just like... We started just like doing this and just like each other. And we were just dancing at this point, but uh, he was big with dreads and like wearing, he was a folk, he was corn, he was corned out, which uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, tell me yeah. this was for Nickelback or something. <laughs> they got the back. No, dude, I fuck with corn, man. I, you know, I don't know. Like it's cause they, they just, they hit me at that, that time when like that, when I was growing up where I was okay. just like, you know, like the, and hey, the production level, shit is fire oh, like i don't know God. who produced those albums but those motherfuckers are actually legitimate in the studio bro so you know i can't throw no shade on somebody who knows how to mix it up all right really like promotion for that maximum heck corn. corn is a sacred <laughs> plant brother gold of the gods yep. and then the letter k when they reverse the k that's actually they they they're they doing some masonic R. shit yep. oh they reverse the R. R. okay yeah. Yeah, the the K the corn with the K, like I mean, and then the the corn ceremony and the Masonic. I already showed uh, you the article of that uh, on on how uh, Jonathan Davis proclaims how he got the the band got the name Corn, and it had yeah. all to do with just taking a shit. No, see that's the thing. Then you did, and I said no. In fact, it's definitely a homage to the Masonic rituals. Yeah, I think people put too much Masonic shit on everything, dude. It's, well like, then, how is everything? That's all shit. that we know. If our entire, you know, existence wasn't, you know, created by some, some of these sons of bitches, and you know, wouldn't be so. We just completely genetically imbued. <laughs> we we do rituals. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, um, let's say a prayer. Find it, Tara. Yeah. Let's do it. Explanation of the dreams. So this this is just from a, a book called. Dreams in the Invisible World in Colonial New England. Cool. By way, by way of explanation of the dreams, absurd juxtapositions, he quotes some lines from Horace, um, and then it's in Latin, but a woman beautiful above has a fish's tail. A rather conventional aphorism describing the absurd, which has often been used to describe a work of literature that begins well but ends in disappointment. He then offers a prayer in Latin. Sorry. Oh God, compassionate and kind, grant me and my comrades that we may ascend to heaven on the divine staircase not only in our dreams but also in truth and so I thought that tied into like everything that we were talking about with the the mermaids and the fairies and the apples and the seeds 
plants and the trees and um, that connecting to like uh, like just a woman. Yeah. The divine and, um, dreams and being the weaver of dreams traditionally is a woman's role. Yeah. At least. Um, and now, so. Did you say you had a fish tail or a snake tail? Or did they say uh, uh, it's a fish tail. Fish tail. Cool. Interesting. Or scales, you know. Yeah. The scales. Scales. Justice. Thank you for sharing that Whoa. with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was thank beautiful. Was yeah, beautiful. no, it yeah, thank you. So so next week we are gonna dive into leprechauns and all things kind of relating to that archetype. So sticking to a lot of the Irish um Irish roots and yeah, uh everybody who's here, let's do it again if you guys are available like legit uh you know anybody in the chat um i saw a homie from the celtic scotsman uh he said much love mm. from stirring scotland i'm a 26 year old scottish stoned mason and i've worked in historic science since i was 16. there's definitely something the star forts and i think they're talismans i'm like hey brother uh if you want to come onto the stream we'll be here next sunday and talk about that uh see if any leprechauns ever pop up in your stonemason star forts and see if that's some sort of Merkabaic traveler transportation to a next timeline or dimension, you know, cause it's all about the shapes, I, baby. Yep. I looked up the definition or not definition, the etymology of the word pyramid and what the Egyptians called the word pyramid. And they called it a mer, M-E-R. So like a Merkaba. But the name we use is like the name for fire, like pyramid. Yeah, fire. Yeah, kind of interesting that it sounds like uh, urn, and maybe people's souls were being carried out of the pyramid into the <laughs> afterlife somehow. I mean, I know the pyramids oh. weren't used for burial, but maybe that's where they processed you, you know, before they put you off in uh, wherever you went. Oh, was I totally believe that. Time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of people that say it's a machine. Uh, it is. Staffs and whatnot. But that doesn't mean some people have multifunction things. Yeah. Some people have also talked about doing drugs in, in the pyramid and you know, uh the the basically the gods coming out of the walls or having uh these other out of, out of body experiences within the pyramid. So we're talking about like fairyland tripping going to these other dimensions, maybe possibly it was a way to get yourself to another dimension into like the other worlds, you know. Or I'm like travel. you because if you like are in the pyramids and you're in a specific spot and you talk to someone lower, I mean you sound like a god. I mean it's crazy. The the way that they work is it Echo, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could literally play God. It's amazing. The Russians do studies on the tachyons associated with the pyramid structures. And they show that the place like where the king's chamber is in the Great Pyramid is a place where there's like a portal of energy that kind of builds up in that particular area of the pyramid on the tachyons. It's freaking like, nice. He knows something. 
That's crazy. Yeah. Nice. Anybody else have any uh, <laughs> last plug request? Plug yourself. I just wanted to share this the the uh, book that I like. It's called the Avalonian Oracle. Oh. Okay, you guys. This is like they're so nice to me. They are. They're these girl this deck is my favorite deck they're very very sweet very nice honest but it's by um this is her name i don't want to say it wrong so i'm just gonna let you guys see it Janea talindrew and she gives us this nice book that will like tell you this the seeds and the cycles and then the journey and then the soul journey and then the otherworldly goddesses afterwards that come out of the mound so i wanted to share that with y'all yo uh, did you see earlier when i i it said that the i was showing that screenshot where it said that the island of avalon where the mother of uh oh gosh i already forgot her name uh Melusine, they took the daughters to Avalon, the island of Avalon, and that's the island of apples, apparently. And I thought that was a fun little weave. Mm -hmm. Or so like the to... island of youth. They call it that, too. Um, Glass there's, Island. Mm. There's so many names for it, but also like, I mean. Fun apple connection from earlier, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's an amazing thing. Heck, yeah. Avalonian apple magic. Oh, Fairy and one more book. It's called Apples of Gold. So I have this. Oh, shit. Book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to bring that up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting on treasure over there. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm just going to sit here and just take over, you know. <laughs> but basically, um, it'll it, it's uh, very, it'll, the contents are um, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Mm. Those are the different. And then they're I'm all very rare. interested in long suffering. Uh, that's what we're going through, buddy. So <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's what it's about, like, to get to retrieve your sword from the island of Avalon is suffering. It's how to get through it the correct way. I wanted to look into the island of Avalon and the battle of ogres. I heard about that, but I didn't read into it. That sounds cool. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Battle of Ogres at <laughs> the island of Avalon in the Glass Isle. Uh, Ogum. Ogum. Yeah, the Ogum. Ogum. Og Bottoms. Us, yeah. oh, the Soggy Bottom Boys the over at the Og the Bottoms with the Ogres in the. Ooh, an ogre bistro. We can we can name and we can start an uh an ogre themed bistro, in which we have nice like oh like super low lighting. Uh, you All know right, we're we talking about toads. Food. We can serve. We're, toads we're making a business right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There we go. All right, fresh baguette with a toad. Uh, <laughs> I got some. Wait, you I have to mud. make a toad to walk in. <laughs> oh, I love huge human-sized frogs that wear Levi pants, and they uh, they try to fool you. They try to fool you, and they're like, "Give me a kiss here, you sweet boy." And I'm like, "No!" And then they ribbit me up, and then they poop me out inside a golden egg, and then uh, yeah. thus the next. Welcome day to Roman, Stan. Oh man! <laughs> All right, y'all. Awesome, <laughs> uh, that was freaking awesome. Andy, tell the 
people where they can find you. All right. Check me out on Facebook at Indie Sage. Instagram at Raw Sentinel. Or you can find my blog site at Vibe Tribe Scribe dot wordpress.com check me out mark, mark where can everybody find where you? where you can find tara and i on the esoteric america podcast along with roman here yeah. uh we're going to be putting another but also new episodes by the way we're working on it. Don't you even you do that. Well, you know, Roman's got all these businesses he's starting. So I know. Get him. It's hard <laughs> the, the Ogre Bistro it's is hard, about to start consuming that guy down. He's got the apothecary. He's got the beef mm-hmm. shop. Who else Who knows what else, yeah. else he's got? So, yeah, I got yeah, the, the whole episode is there. So people know where to find me. Oh, uh, there we go. My family thinks I'm crazy. Yes. All the audio listeners. Check the episode description. Roman will make sure to put my link in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and aside from Roman, uh, Esoteric America is a really great show, and I, I love it. That's why Thank I bug you for Chad is Chad is the anchor on that show. Mark and I were just saying how well, we, how we blessed. Say, we are yeah, we're gonna change it up. We're gonna change it up. So we're we're gonna do yep. one episode a week, hopefully, and we're gonna have one guest a month. But those three other episodes during the month, it's just gonna be the four of us: Tara, Roman, Chad, and I. And we're gonna do the research ourselves on the episode, wherever, whatever town we're looking at that particular week, and uh, hopefully get a guest on that month to talk about the same town that we're researching. So yeah, Esoteric America. There you go. Still coming. Don't be uh don't be hasty. We'll we'll come out with a new show soon. Alex. Excellent. Are you doing every Tara, state? Any last words? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um sweet dreams. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for uh popping in and uh and reading that poem. Appreciate well, it. Well, it's from uh, a really interesting book that we found. Uh, Dreams. What is the title again? Can you read the title again? Where is the title? Um, Dreams and the Invisible World in Colonial New England. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. Dreams and the Invisible World in Colonial New England. So a lot of what we talked about today, bro, from the Native American perspective, and especially mm-hmm. how the European perspective met the you know native american perspective in that colonial time period because you know a lot of what we remember about the native americans was filtered through them unfortunately they weren't the most neutral party to do that so yeah this is a whole new look at that time period it's a great book she's been reading it for a little bit now similar to the codexes you know we don't know a lot about the south americans except for through the european codexes and it's right, just like the jesuits oh yeah. love how we just let that shit slide hey, morgan thank you <laughs> thanks babe for coming on you did fantastic thanks. Uh, so come pop on all the time anytime you want uh do you have anything going on that you want the people to know about come follow you or not yet uh, no, I'm trying to uh, start a blog, uh, but that's still in the making. Other than that, no. Um, I might. I love Slow Burn. It's like one of my favorite shows, so I'll probably pop on here more. Yeah. Thank you thank guys you. for having me. Nice. Yeah. Thank Sweet. you for popping on. I had a I good time. It. Uh, yeah, it's nice to put a, a face to you. I feel like I know you, so 
listened to you guys for a long time. So it was nice to meet you. Yeah, it was nice meeting you too and sharing some, you know, being a lady. Something that moves you and that takes a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, Girl yeah. power is what she's. Woman to woman. I see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apples yeah. to apples. Apples to um. apples. <laughs> uh, uh, Stan Fox. Yo, you yeah. Uh, Fox, do you? <laughs> oh, hell no. No, Stan Fox. <laughs> um, I'm from the tribe of the Grey Young Pagans, uh, host of the Grey Young Pagans podcast. Uh, you can find uh, you can find us on all the bigger podcasting platforms. You can find me under Stein Fox on Minds, Twitter, and uh, YouTube, and of course Odyssey and Rumble. Um, the tribe is mostly active on Telegram. Uh, tribe of the Greyhorn Pagans, so TWMs Greyhorn Pagans. You can find all of us there. Um, so yeah, it's been awesome. You guys did episode on the Faye recently, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, yeah, I did a uh, podcast with uh, Fire Faye, my fiance. She is connected to the Faye, and together with uh, Child of Ash, who has been uh, very active in the chat, we have done uh, Little excellent, People. Excellent. That was a good. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that was being talked about, I recognized from, uh, oh, from the shows yeah. that we did. Roman, Roman tagged me in a po post on Telegram. Because uh, somebody was saying that the uh, Aries is the fire symbol. If you put the F to the Aries, you get fairies. Um, the moon is in Aries right now. So thanks, thanks, Roman, for that one. And yep. I forget who said it, who you saw it from, but uh, thanks to them, too. Hey, subscribe and hit the bell. Thank you, my brother. All right, thanks, man. Well, uh, yeah, bro. That's amazing, man. We've been getting like consistent, like couple new subs a day, which is cool, which means people like to nerd out on a bunch of really awesome, <laughs> weird things. So that's great. And um, we love everybody. I love everybody. I love all you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, let's uh, let's let's do it again next Sunday. Eh? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> all right cheers all right Leprechauns, thanks man. fire tribe for listening and if you're not done with that wake up <laughs> nice